0: This evening's reading is taken from Luke's book, chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, and this is following on from the reading this morning, where, and this is Jesus sending out 72 messengers. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes." but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy and said,
1: When I was uh, looking at tonight's passage, I realised that it was very similar to one we looked at in the middle of November. And I'm sure you can all remember word for word what I said when we talked about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. But just in case you did, I thought, what on earth am I going to talk about? Because Jesus sending out the 72, he gives them a lot of the same advice as he does to the 12. Take nothing with you. It's about relying on him and about trusting in him alone. So I thought, what on earth am I going to talk about tonight? So first of all, I thought I'd look at who were the 72. And how is this different? How is this instance different to the last one? Well, Jesus' public ministry was quickly coming to an end, but there were still loads of places that he'd not visited with his good news. He'd been to Galilee in the north and he'd been to Samaria, but he'd not yet been to the towns and villages surrounding the Jordan River. But for a while before his crucifixion, he chose to minister in that area. The people who lived in those towns and villages were treated with indifference by the Jewish leaders. And so that might have been the reason why Jesus sent out such a large amount of people, so that they could reach as many people as possible in the time that was left. While the sending out of the 12 disciples, uh, earlier on in Luke, represents the ministry to God's people, the 12 tribes of Israel, the sending out of the 72 was to the Gentiles, because there were traditionally 72 Gentile nations. So the 72 were to represent that the gospel was now something for everyone, Gentiles included. This was a different group of people. This was a different mission. And whilst much of the advice as for what to take or what not to take, as the case was, was quite similar, there were one or two things that were different. First of all, we have uh, verse 2, which says he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, I realise we're completely the wrong end of the year to be thinking about harvest. But let's just consider it for a little while. The first thing we should think about is, what does it mean to harvest Well, your average dictionary definition of the word harvest means to gathering ripe crops or fodder. Sounds simple enough, doesn't it? But despite the fact that I'm sure very few of us here actually go out and gather in the harvest these days, I'm sure we all know that there's a lot more to it than that. Harvesting is hard work, it involves getting your hands dirty. In order to reap in a harvest, there's a lot of work to do before that. A farmer's work is hard, and their livelihood depends on getting a good crop. It's, if it's a bumper crop, then there's something worth celebrating, but if not, then that's really quite disheartening. And what's more is that it's something that can bring about a great deal of satisfaction, because you literally see the fruits of your labour. The farmer is involved with the harvest at every stage and invests such a lot into the work. They plant the seed, they water it, they do whatever it is you do with seeds to make them grow Um, and then they care for the plants until they're mature and ready to be harvested. Those seeds which the farmers invest so much time are now ripe for gathering in. But harvesting a crop, is more than that final stage. Being a farmer requires long, hard days of manual labour. It involves sacrificing things that other people take for granted. It, thankfully, is still something that they do, regardless of the cost. But they do it because, in the end, it's worth it. Despite the lack of spare time and the difficulty in getting by, they still do it because it's worth it to see the fruits of their hard work, to see it all pay off in the end. So whilst it's hard work, it's totally worthwhile. And I'll remind you again what Jesus says about the harvesting. He says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The harvest is plentiful, there's a lot to do. There's more to be done than we can physically manage. The harvest is plentiful, but there's not enough people to really get on and do it. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now imagine being a farmer. Imagine having a really, really good year. You've got an amazing crop that you can see in the fields ready to be harvested. But you just can't keep up. You work into full capacity, and whilst you'd love to do more, everyone has their limits. How would you feel knowing that you never manage the task at hand, not completely, anyway? Well, it's that kind of thing that Jesus is on about. He's saying there's loads of people who need to have faith in him. Loads of people who are spiritually wandering, who need to hear his good news. People who are looking for hope in a hopeless world. And it's our job to reach them. He tells us that the harvest is plentiful. There are loads of people who don't know him personally. There are people who haven't chosen to commit their lives to following him. And we know that's true because we might work with them. They might be our neighbours. They might be part of our own family. They might be some of our best friends. But we all know people who are looking for hope. And that's where we come in. It's our job to offer it to them. It's up to us to share our faith. We talked a lot about this kind of thing in recent months. We talked about how we share our, our ordinary everyday lives with others in such a way that they see the difference our faith makes to us and want to know more. But we need to always, always remember that. Because so often we shy away from our faith, uh, from sharing our faith with other people, when actually it might be one of the most important things we do that day. It takes guts, it's scary, and sometimes it's really difficult, but it's something that we need to do through words and actions. And there are a few reasons for that. Firstly, because we're called to. Jesus said, go and make disciples. It's as simple as that. Well, it's not simple, but you know what I mean. <laughs> he sent us out to tell other people about him. But the other thing is that if we don't, somebody else will. And I don't mean someone else might share the faith with them, because that would be all right, wouldn't it? But someone else might share something else with them that might, they might think is the temporary fix to what they're looking for. <clears throat> There'll be other things offer false hope the solutions that people look for that in the end actually will leave people empty. That's things that are offered to people that are just nothing compared to the hope that we have. Now let me explain a little bit by telling you a story about something that happened to me one day when I was at uni in Glasgow. Now I apologise if you have heard this story, I know one or two of you might have done. But I was waiting for a bus back from the city centre to the West End And there were a couple of other people at the bus stop, and we all got talking, as you do, at bus stops. And this one guy randomly started talking about the wonderful, exciting change that had come into his life. He started talking with real enthusiasm about this amazing thing that had happened to him, this new discovery that had completely and utterly transformed his life and given him this spring in his step that he now had he was absolutely over the moon with what he was sharing with us it was something new to him something he was so incredibly excited about i've heard enough people sharing their testimony by that point to realize where i thought he was going he was going to say become a christian and life was all of a sudden wonderful and honky dory right and well I have to be honest with you, at this point, I was a little bit embarrassed for him. Because he couldn't have been more cheesy if he tried. It was so cliche, and the other people at the bus stop didn't really want to know. But he was really excited, and he was telling people whether they wanted to know or not. And so he carried on. He felt like a new man, nothing would ever be the same again. I kid you not, he was selling it big time. Which made me feel a little bit guilty. Because I'd, whilst I thought the way he was saying things was a little bit, you know, cliche, at least he was doing something. At least he was sharing his faith when I wasn't. This guy was so excited about what he was saying, so I continued to listen. And what came next, I was absolutely unprepared for. He got to the peak of his story and he asked the question. Do you know what it was that happened to change my life about now? Can any of you guess what might have happened? And I'll tell you now, it wasn't becoming a Christian. Any ideas? He said, I started setting my alarm an hour early, which means I don't have to rush in the mornings, and life is just so much better. Exactly, that was my response. (laughs) I didn't actually laugh, out loud, But it made... He went on to say how much of a difference it had made to his life, how much his life was better, because he had that sense of peace about his day. And that was it. This man in Glasgow City Centre was so excited about a change in his sleeping pattern that he had to tell a whole load of random strangers. Wow. And I'll never forget that day, because the thing, is, the thing that I learned the most is that not only should I be sharing my faith because I have something much more important than a change in alarm clock setting time, which I'm not convinced an hour getting up early is a good idea anyway. (laughs) But also that if I don't tell people the difference that Jesus makes to my life, then someone else will be telling them about something else that isn't anywhere near as life-changing or as exciting as the news that God loves us and wants a relationship with us. Yes, harvesting is hard work. Yes, it takes courage, but the harvest is there. And it's our job to go out and bring it in. And I've said it so many times before, it doesn't have to be scary. We don't have to stand at bus stops and talk to strangers. We can do it in lots of different ways. And the thing with harvesting is this there are many stages in the harvesting process. There are many stages from planting the seed, to watering it, to helping it grow, and then bringing in that final harvest. And it's our job to sow the seed. It's God who will make it grow. The parable of the seed growing secretly helps us understand that. Mark 4, (coughs) 26 says, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up. The seed sprouts and grows. Though he does not know how, all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the uh, grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. It's our job to sow the seed, but God will make it grow. And back in the day when people sowed the seed, it wasn't a precise science with machinery and stuff like that. A farmer would go out and scatter seed seed. Some would fall on good soil, some would fall on rocky ground, some would wither up and die. You've all heard the parable. The farmer knew it wouldn't all grow, but he sowed the seed anyway. I love the idea of a reckless sower. Someone who's generously sowing the seed and trusting that it's going to grow. Not being overwhelmed by the difficulties that might happen and the things that might go wrong but instead just sowing the seed anywhere and everywhere. We can't make someone put their faith in Jesus, but we can help them understand him a bit more. So that's the first difference in this account to the other one. It's about the harvest. Jesus talking about the harvest and it's our job to participate in that process. But then we move on to verse 3. Don't worry, I'm not going to go through the whole 20 verses like that. But the next bit of our advice is, go, I am sending you out like lamb among, lambs among wolves. The first bit there, go, I'm sending you out. Jesus is the one who said that. He was sending them out to do the work, in which they had to, be, to pray in order to be able to have the, the workers to tackle it. After telling them in verse 2 that they must ask the Lord for workers, then he tells them that it's actually them that's got to do it. And then by way of encouragement, he tells them he's sending them out like lambs among wolves. Lambs among wolves, that's not a cheery thought. Think about it this way. What chance do sheep have among wolves? Well, the answer is none whatsoever. We all know that sheep have no defence mechanism other than to bar, which isn't going to scare anyone. They don't have the ability to flinch when they're scared of something, so whatever is going to happen to them will happen to them and they can't do anything about it. They can't sense danger and they stampede when they're startled. They have a tendency to wander off and have no sense of direction. They're pretty much the easiest targets ever on a hillside. So what chance do sheep have among wolves? None whatsoever. Jesus was describing his followers as sheep among wolves. So what is it about the wolf that we fear? Well, wolves are flesh-eating animals, uh, animals of prey. They're fierce and they're cruel. They're cunning and they're strong. They run in packs and they kill for fun. We've been sent among the wolves. And as we know, what is the chance? None whatsoever. None whatsoever without a shepherd, that is. If a shepherd sent them, the shepherd will go with them. The sheep might be in the midst of a load of wolves, but if the shepherd's there, it's not so bad after all. The shepherd seeks those who wander off. The shepherd watches over his sheep night and day. The shepherd protects his sheep from predators, of which there are many. The shepherd would be willing to lay down his life for his sheep, and in our case, he already did. The shepherd leads his sheep to places of still water, where they can get the refreshment that they need and essentially the shepherd provides the sheep with the care and refreshment and security that they need wherever he leads them and it's this shepherd that we're on about here this shepherd knows the sheep and they know him they know the shepherd's voice just as we need to learn to know God's voice So Jesus sends the 72 out just as he sends us out, like sheep among wolves. He knows it's a scary place to be, but he goes with us. He's a shepherd who watches over us and protects us from predators. He's a shepherd who laid down his life for us. He's a shepherd who leads us by still waters and restores our souls. Wherever he leads us, we can be sure that he is with us. And what are we told to take with us? Absolutely nothing. And there's a similarity to the passage, the other passage I was on about. We're not to depend on things, we're to depend on God. We're to go without anything because that is the best way. It's hard for us in this day and age to truly accept that. We're incredibly reliant on stuff. We have gadgets for this, that, and the next thing. And it's not just physical things that bog us down. We bog ourselves down with meetings and agendas and aims and objectives and reports and all sorts of things like that, which whilst can be helpful, it's not really what we're aiming at. So to venture out to collect the harvest is tough, um, but we have to go empty-handed, without gadgets, lengthy agendas, and instead totally relying on Jesus. And to do that, it is hard. Most people, with the exception of some of the young people I've worked with in my time, like to plan things. And then they like to stick to that plan flawlessly. But here, Jesus sends out the 72 with nothing, no plans, nothing to, no idea of where their daily provision is going to come from. They simply have to trust that God will provide. And as we know, since he is our good shepherd, then he always will. As with the 72, when we venture out into reap the harvest in obedience and faith, we'll find that the opportunities for reaching out to others are endless and right on our own doorstep. We've been sent out as disciples among the people that we meet in our daily lives. Although we don't always see the bigger picture or where our lives are headed, we know that God will provide everything as we take the next step and the next step and the next step. The account of sending out the 72 teaches us that being part of those who are sent out is not easy. There is stress, tension, there's a huge amount of risk and great uncertainty. But there's also excitement and anticipation. Part of the excitement is that there's an adventure and we don't know how things will end. We don't know where the journey will lead or how things will turn out. But you and I are called to be part of the mission to share God's good news, the news of his kingdom with others. God has chosen to send us out and he's promised to go with us in the risky business of sharing our faith. We're privileged to be part of God's way of turning the whole world upside down. I want to finish by just telling you something that a guy called Donald Ewing um, said about taking risks. He said, to laugh is to risk appearing the fool to weak is to risk appearing weep is to risk appearing sentimental to reach out to another is to risk involvement to expose feelings is to risk our true self to place your ideas and your dreams before the crowd is to risk loss to love is to risk not being loved in return to live is to risk dying to hope is to risk despair to try it all is to risk failure But to risk we must, because the greatest hazard in life is to risk nothing. The man, the woman who risks nothing, does nothing, has nothing, is nothing. So the challenge is let's risk together. Let's risk sharing our faith with the people that we meet day by day. The people that we meet at the bus stop, the people we meet at work, the people in our families. And let's take nothing with us as we go. Nothing apart from faith in Jesus, which incidentally is all that we need. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that when you call us to speak out for you to others, that you will also go with us. We thank you that wherever we go, you are there and will never leave us. Lord, sometimes sharing our faith is a difficult thing to do, but help us to take risks and do that, knowing that
0: you will be there with us, whatever the outcome. Amen.